Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roaring 20s Podcast. Welcome back. We are so excited. We have an incredible guest today. She is one of my greatest friends. She's become one of my greatest friends, and she has so many incredible qualities that we can go on and on about. But one of the big reasons we wanted to have her on is because she is one of the most disciplined people I know, and people are constantly searching for ways to build better habits, stay consistent, and she is definitely a huge, huge expert in that area. Yeah. I need some tips too. So I'm, I'm really <laughs> This is really an episode for Julia. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but Ariel, tell us about yourself. Anything you want to share? Anything you want the audience to know? Oh, well, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I am just leaving my 20s. I just turned 30 recently. So um, I'm a teacher. I live in a suburb of Chicago. I teach second grade. And, you know, I absolutely love doing that. I'm married and recently found out, well, I guess a few months ago now that I am pregnant and having a baby girl. Thank you. I am so excited. My husband and I just like cannot wait. And yeah, so I'm just excited to be here and chat with you girls. We're so excited to have you and congratulations again. That's so incredible. And you already know it's a girl. Yes, we found out. Um, so we here got the stay at home shelter um, on Saturday and that was supposed to be our gender reveal. So we called our doctor and were able to move the appointment a day early. (gasps) Ironically, my sister's pregnant as well. And she's due the day before me. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't like, there's no way to even plan that or say that. So we have all of our things at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) We're looking at like cute little twin stuff. But um, when we found out that it was happening, we couldn't have it. We both like frantically called our doctors, got it. We're like, we need to know the gender. And so we just found out about a, a little over a week ago last Friday. Oh my God, that's so that's so exciting. That's yeah, so and we're both having girls. Oh, <laughs> they're really twins. <laughs> they are. You both had your little pink outfits. <laughs> stop. I need to stop with the Instagram swipe ups. Like they know my life. And I'm like, oh, the matching outfit. Yes, all four of us need it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Horrible. so cute. Um, so I, I know that you and Brenda built a relationship literally like online how did you guys like mm-hmm. cultivate such a strong relationship just from knowing each other like through the internet that always amazes me when I see people that have like these like incredible friendships and they met through like Instagram or Facebook or like whatever so like how'd you guys become friends yeah so it is so crazy and like she is like one of my best friends and I talk about it all the time with like, my husband I was like oh yeah I was talking to Brenda and he's like you guys are this like BFFs So we both were in um, a course together. Um, I'm sure she's mentioned Jesse's Food Freedom Masterclass. And when I first started the course, um, being the person I am, I, you know, Jesse encouraged us to get accountability partners. And I was like, well, I need to have the best accountability partner. So I was like looking through the Facebook group and I literally like vetted Brenda. I was like, this girl is showing up. Look at the progress she's making. Like, look at all the stuff she's doing. I was like, I want to be your friend. So, (laughs) so I reached out to her and we just connected. And I think we were in a space where so many women were, are like very vulnerable and open and like, 
innately vulnerability breeds connection. Mm-hmm. And so when we're in that situation where we're like opening about like dark times or hard times and struggles and, you know, ways, things that we fear, I think that ultimately builds such a deep connection. And we are able to utilize, um, you know, a video chat platform, which I think helped a little bit more. And just the consistency in which we shared and the how open we were, I think just really bonded us and allowed us to become connected because to be honest, like, you know, you have friends that you like see in person, but like how well do they know you? And like with Brenda, she knows me on a very deep, intimate, vulnerable level because of that. So yeah, it was really cool. I think that that's so like cool to hear, especially right now with everything that's going on because people can feel so isolated right now. And I think it's just like a really beautiful reminder that you can create and foster like beautiful, deep connection and relationship, even if like you can't physically be in the same place as someone. So I think that that's just like a really like kind of uplifting thing for people to hear right now to be like, okay, like if I'm feeling lonely, I can reach out to people I already know, or I can go online and join a community and find people that, you know, are maybe experiencing something similar to me. And I just think that that's like really beautiful, especially in the time that we're in right now. Yeah. It's so crazy. It kind of reminds me of love is blind. (laughs) <laughs> Which is like, obviously is the whole like chat series of itself. Never. But the idea that you don't need to like have, like you, you can fall in love with someone and you can create such a deep, intimate relationship to the point where you'd want to spend the rest of your life with them solely by your mental, emotional connection that's mm-hmm. breeded in that urging for people. Um, even people like dating and I'm married but like even dating right like all that stuff can be cultivated and I feel like just being I think the important thing is to remember to be open and honest and vulnerable and the more that you can do that the deeper the relationship will be absolutely definitely and I think it makes such a difference like we said maybe not like physical connection in person but I do agree like what you were saying by using a video platform where you can see someone's face and see their mannerisms and see their reactions I think that definitely makes a difference in terms of like connecting with friendships online but the whole concept of love is blind is just whoa we could do a whole other episode on that so (laughs) I loved it yeah watched it so quickly (laughs) yeah and I love it with the video thing because I think so many times like how many times are like you you send a text and you're like oh that's not how I meant it or Mm. how things are read and like your tone and so much of that is important in communication and when that's not easily portrayed through just like mech, like texting messages, that can definitely be a mix up. So I definitely think that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like, even though everything that's going on right now sucks, like it, we are lucky that we're in an age that we do have video chat and that we do have texting. Like if this happened 50 years ago, like we would not be able to see anybody that we didn't live with. Like at least now we can video chat our friends and it kind of feels like, oh, like we're talking, I see you, you see me. Like we could really kind of read each other a little bit better than than you can just over like a phone call. Definitely. Yeah, I this will sure. give people a lot of hope who are currently in the dating world and are like, when am I going to find love next? Maybe this will give them some hope. Then. Yeah. <laughs> you should watch Love is Blind, listen to this, and then go out and do some- And then you're ready. That's your toolbox. <laughs> awesome. So we just wanted to talk a little bit about also, I know a good amount about all of your competing days and what drew you to that, but 
what did draw you to that? And what was that lifestyle like for you? Yeah. So I um, competed for about three and a half, four years. So it's a good chunk of my life in my twenties. I initially in so, bodybuilding is that what it was in in bodybuilding yeah right. so like th- I did the bikini division mm-hmm. um so like all the Instagram things you see mm-hmm. um I think previously I have always yo-yo dieted up and down with my weight and um prior to competing I was getting ready for my wedding and that was the smallest I had ever been as an adult and I was so scared I was gonna bounce back up like I was like like you know history repeats itself I'm gonna gain all this weight back and it was simultaneously at the same time as the rise of Instagram. So we're 2013, 2014, where things started getting really popular. And I started seeing all of these girls who were competing and I loved how they looked. Like I was like, I want to look like that. I want to look like that. I want to look like that. And I figured after my wedding, if I decided I was going to go into this world and compete, then I wouldn't gain the weight back. And I couldn't look like all of these girls. Cause I went, I attended a couple of shows and I'm like, they all look the same. So apparently whatever they're doing is working, right? It's the answer. Mm -hmm. So I decided to dive in. And so innately, like my sole reason for signing up and doing it was to be thin, was to lose weight, was to look like the girls I saw on stage with all the glitz and glam. And, um, yeah, so I started competing and I did my first show in 2014 and then 15, 16, 17, so on. And that world is, it's, it's, it's an individualized sport, right? You're just, it's just you and what you decide to do. And with that, it comes a lot of like isolation, um, somewhat loneliness. Um, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of attention to detail. And unlike other things, like I've played other sports, soccer, like volleyball, and I even ran. The thing about bodybuilding is you have to pay attention and have details in every single aspect of your life. Mm. Like, if I am, you know, running, even if a, a lot of people like do running, right? If I'm running and I'm trying to get a race time, all that, if I eat like pizza and pasta and then you're going to run a race in four months, like that's fine. <laughs> like it, normally it's not going to have that big of an impact. But when you're competing, because it's so aesthetically focused and every single detail matters, it does. It does. I mean, my preps were like six months long when I was doing them. And so it consumed what I ate, how I set supplements I took, um, how I worked out, how long I worked out. And it just, it took a lot of my resources, a lot of my time, my money, my energy. It was like a full-time um, job, it sounds like. It really, it really was. And I like, it, it probably took more time throughout the week than my actual full-time job. Yeah. And it's so crazy. And so with that, like no one else can do the cardio for you. No one else can eat the meals for you. No one else can do that. So it, it, it tends to be very isolating and it tends mm-hmm. to be somewhat lonely. And though I was on teams and different things, you don't necessarily feel it in the same way that you do feel like other like team sports and things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. I, I don't regret doing it. Um, I don't regret competing because it taught me a lot. And I think every experience we go through has value. So I'm grateful for the time that I spent in it. I do wish I wouldn't have done it as long as I did mm-hmm. because of how much energy it took. Um, I do wish maybe like I would have done like one or two shows and not like 10. Yeah. So. I mean, I think that a lot of things that you said are like really interesting, especially because I feel like with Instagram and everything, like we see these like supermodels, like Bella Hadid, Gigi Hadid, and they're like, you know, they have such a certain body type. They all kind of look the same, these supermodels. But what people don't realize is that that is their full-time job. 
like to look mm-hmm. that way. Like, yes, they won the genetic lottery, but then also like every day they're being paid to work out three times a day to eat in a certain way. Like they don't have to do other things. Like they're not, you know, working out and then going to their nine to five and then, you know, whatever, like their job is to show up to the gym. And I think that people kind of sometimes forget that, that like, that's their literal occupation to do that. And like, that's not a normal lifestyle uh, when you have a full-time job. You can't, you can't physically do because you don't have as much time as they do to like do as much as they're doing. Yeah. And I think sometimes with Instagram and just social media, it gives that like facade and that false hope that it's somewhat Mm -hmm. attainable. Like for me, I, I did, I did a lot. So I was teaching full-time. I was getting my master's and I was the head coach for um, a local high school team. So for me to sustain all that, I was waking up at two 30 in the morning Wow. going on four hours of sleep for like years. I did. Oh my God. And I would wake up at two 30 in the morning to do cardio, to work out. Then I would go school right after school. I had soccer practice right after soccer practice. I would work on that. I would sleep for maybe four hours where like my body did shut down. Like my reproductive system completely shut down. My bone density started going like a lot of health. Um, a lot of health complications came from the extreme in which I competed along with you know, having other areas of my life that were still going. And it was, uh, it was so crazy. But like, when you're in that headspace, and you're just like, so tunnel visioned, it didn't, none of it mattered to me. I was like, I'm just, you know, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta do this. And so it is crazy, because like, that's not sustainable, nor healthy for anyone. Mm-hmm. But on the outside looking in, you're like, Oh, that's so cool. I want to, like, I can't tell you how many comments and messages that are like, Oh, my gosh, what are you doing? I want to do that. I you look so great. I want to look like you blah, 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 blah. And it went on and on. And I'm like, girl, if you only knew what mm-hmm. how I actually lived. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel like in terms of like at the time being judged for your body, like literally how you're able to achieve the body you were in? Um, comments by people, maybe like comparison to where other people were at the time. I know you're super disciplined and when someone gives you a set of rules, you follow them. So I'm hopefully, I'm I'm assuming you did feel very confident in what you were doing. Um, But did you feel any mental and emotional effects at the time? Or do you feel like it's stuff that piled up towards the end? Um, No, it's definitely, it, it does have a mental, emotional toll on you. And it depends on what like area of life you're looking at. Because it was really hard navigating social settings and family. Mm. I felt like I felt left out from family gatherings and I felt some judgment from them. Um, I felt like I couldn't be included because I had to give that up. And then in within competing itself, the compare it's it's sad because like the comparison's still always there. Like I was doing it and I had the body that I dreamed of that I never thought possible yet. I'm like, oh, I'm not lean enough. Oh you know, I should, you know, because I was overweight prior, I had like some loose skin and I like, I went to see a plastic surgeon to see if I could get my skin tightened. And I thought about getting implants and I had to dye my hair and I had extensions and lashes and like, all of those things are fine. I think it just depends on your intent and the context in which you're using it or how you, you know, you're the worth you're getting from it. Absolutely. And it, it's still, I was still you know, like at, at my leanest best, you know, it still wasn't enough. It still wasn't good enough. Like even when I won first place, I'm like, Oh, I didn't win the overall or like whatever it was. It was just like this perpetual comparison, not enough. Got to keep going. Got to keep grinding. And it was, it was exhausting. And it was so hard because I would pour and it's so hard because you pour your heart and soul into this 
for so long and you get to stage and you stand on and literally you're on stage for a total of 15, maybe 30 seconds if it's a long show and it's done. And I got third place and I come home and I'm just like crying and I'm just like devastated and broken. And I'm just like, how like this is, you know, this sucks. And in perspective, I'm like, what were you crying over? You know, like it's so hard, but like in the moment I felt the emotional and, you know, mental pain and I was sad. And then afterwards dealing with letting go of bodybuilding was super hard. Mm-hmm. It was, it was because whenever you make a transition in life, it doesn't matter what you transit. I, I felt this transition too when I left college, right? You're leaving an identity. Yeah. And I was like, it was so hard to leave my friends. It was hard to leave my sorority. It was hard to leave that lifestyle. And I'm like grieving. It's like the breakup, you know, like I'm grieving this lifestyle gone. And so competing though was unhealthy. It meant I couldn't be a mom. It was you know, mentally taking a toll on me. It was so, my husband and I spent so much money on competing. I can't even like articulate it. And I'm like, this isn't good. It's like a, like a bad ex-boyfriend, right? Like he's no good for me. It doesn't matter. You still grieve the breakup of it. And so I had this horrible ex-boyfriend and it was like, there was this period where I just, I had to let go of everything in that world. And it just like took a lot of like grieving because my identity was so highly tied to that and I think we experienced that in different seasons and different phases throughout our life and that was definitely a really hard one totally and what do you feel with all that stuff that you mentioned what was like the final thing that made you realize you had to let go of it and how did you specifically cope with the changing of your identity uh, it was hard. I um, fought with this for pretty much all of like 2017. The ultimate like straw that broke the camel's back was I wanted to be a mom. I knew I wanted to be a mom and you can't do that without a cycle or a period or any hormones. And like my hormone, like I got blood work done and they were tanked across the board. Like there, I, it was like, there was like a scale and it was like, like a, it was like a pregnant woman, healthy woman, a woman going through menopause, a preteen who hasn't gotten her period yet. And then like, I was below all of those. So it was like, okay, these two cannot coexist. I got to pick one. And I think ultimately, like I knew I really wanted to be a mom. And then also with that too, there was a little bit of perspective happening as it had been like my 10th show. I really thought about how much time, money and energy I was spending on this. And I'm like, my husband and I could have like traveled the world. Like we could have gone on a vacation. We could have done this stuff. And I was like, I want to do those things. Like I, I, I'm glad I competed and I had that experience, but I don't want that to be all that my life was up to this point. So thinking about those two things and um, I, it was hard because I went back and forth towards the end of 2017. I went back and forth like, well, maybe I'll do one more show. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll, you know, keep going or, or maybe I'll quit now. And I went out to lunch with actually my dad and my husband. And I just told him, I was talking to my dad and I was like, I just really want to be a mom someday. And he just kind of like was very open with me about like how much he loved me and how much I impacted and changed his life because my parents had me very young. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you were the best thing that ever happened to me and going on and on. And I'm like, it, it made me really emotional. And I'm like, I can't wait to experience that. Like, wow. I can't take that away from myself. I don't know how much more damage I'm going to do to my body if I keep going. And so it was like in that moment with my family, with my husband that I was like, I know what I want more in life. And so that just had to be the end of it. And it was really hard to let go of. It's like, it's like, like I was talking about the breakup. I knew I had to cut all ties. It's not like you can like break up with a boyfriend and be like, well, I'll text him sometimes. Right. Like, no girl, he's got to go yeah. in every aspect. So I had to, I left the gym I was working on. I working out at, I like, 
you know, didn't have a coach anymore. I sold my bikinis and all my old competing stuff. I had a YouTube channel for like my fitness stuff. And my husband, and I had like a little, comp- I deleted everything, deleted wow. the channel, got rid of everything. I like just had to cut all ties to that identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really helped me process through it a little bit better. Cause I think if I would have hung on to like components of it, it would have made it so much harder to move on to the next phase of my that life. Totally makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And Ju, I don't know what you think about this, but I feel like beyond just your own identity and cutting ties yourself with everything, like how did you handle other people? I'm sure defining you as we've talked about, like as, as the fitness girl, if people were asking you what you were doing all the time, how did you navigate like not, (laughs) not being that person anymore to them? Yeah, it's hard. I, well, like I posted all about my competing on my social media So when I decided to stop competing, I did make a couple of posts that was like, I'm done competing. And I, it happened progressionally. Like I kept making posts, like I'm done competing. I talked about my infertility struggles and how that was impacted and just kind of became more open about it. And I think that it was a platform in which I could be open and vulnerable and people could receive it without necessarily the image, like intimidation of doing it face to face. Mm-hmm. Cause I think sometimes, sometimes articulating ourselves in letters and words and all of that can make that transition a little bit easier. Um, and some ways too, though, I cut those people out of my life. Mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of had to, like when I switched gyms, a lot of people that knew me for competing and that I built a relationship where our common ground was, where we saw each other was at the gym. Just like if you, if you go out and drink with someone all the time and you just see them at the bar, if you stop going to the bar, do you have a relationship anymore? You know, I didn't go to the gym, so we didn't really have a relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. And I started trying to pour myself into other areas of my life and get invested in other groups of friends and circles. And so part of it was me sharing my story and being open and saying, I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. Part of it was me cutting ties and disconnecting from those people. And part of it was really difficult conversations that I was like, there's more to life than this. And I just can't do it. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. We were like, okay, well, you're not competing anymore, but are you still going to do this program? Are you still going to do this, this, that, and the other? And they're bringing stuff up. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, I can't talk about it. And that was uncomfortable, but an important boundary that I needed to set for myself. Absolutely. I mean, it really makes me think about like, what things in our life do we sacrifice for like outside validation, whether it's a like or a follow or, you know, someone telling us that like we look a certain way. And it just, it like really makes me think so much about like how much are we really doing for ourselves and how much are we doing for other people and like how much are we doing for ourselves that we think is validating us or like making us feel good, but it's only, it's only helping us in one area and it's not really fulfilling us in like mind, body and soul. And it also makes me think about like what identities do, do we hold on to that are for, for other people and what how do we find like our real identity and what really like what we're really meant to be? Like, I feel like for you, like your identity really became like, you're, you're meant to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And this other thing was like keeping you from that true identity. Yeah. It's so hard. I think the validation that we get, the high that comes with it, our desire for love and belonging and feeling like we have a group and a niche and people that, you know, appreciate us. And like, I feeling that validation, you do get like, you know, such a high off of it for lack of better words. Mm -hmm. And and knowing that 
when you know, I knew the exact reason I was getting validated was because of my body. And I knew that the exact reason I couldn't become a mom was because of my body. Mm -hmm. And when you're at that crossroad, it really is like, where do your values and your priorities lie? And what's more important at the end of the day? Like, you know, you, it's morbid, but to think like, okay, the day that they bury me, are they going to be like, she was such an amazing mom and she just like loved people or she had a really good six pack. Like that was amazing. Like, what are they going to say? And it was really that. And, and just the fact too, that it makes me emotional thinking about the fact that I get to be a mom now and that, and I finally made it to that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully soon, God willing, the rest of the pregnancy goes well, but like, it's just so much more fulfillment than I ever got from a gold plastic trophy which also needed to be tossed in the purging cycle. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Like, my husband and I had it. We had him on display. Oh. I was thinking about this. We had him on display on above our fireplace, and it was full. I think it's hard, too, when you're good at something, mm-hmm. when you get more validation from it. It would have been one thing, and we talk about this all the time. If we would have competed, and I would have always gotten last or not placed and not gotten the trophy, I think it would have been so much easier to cut ties because what more validation than like, you're already getting likes and follows and comments and stuff. But for someone that you're under the lights, you're, you know, on the stage and someone hands you a trophy and they're like, you got first place, you're the best. And then, Mm -hmm. whoo, that feeling in itself was, yeah. So that was really hard. But yeah, I think remembering who you are, who you want to be and making decisions that align with that. I think that's so important for people to hear. And like, even on a smaller scale, like I feel like right now where me and Brenda are are at, like in this like young 20s, like I have so many friends that like went to school for one degree or thought they were going to have a job in one area and then like are coming to find out like, oh, that actually doesn't make me feel happy or fulfilled, but feeling scared to let go of that because everyone else was like, but you majored in that. Like, that's what you always said you want to do. Like, this is what you, this is what you studied. This is what you should do. And like that feeling of like, okay, is my identity what I, you know, said that I was going to be, or is my identity what I'm feeling now that really provides me fulfillment. And I feel, I see like so many of my friends struggling with that to like break that tie with that vision of their old self to like really Mm -hmm. come into that space of what's going to make them happy in the long run. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, that's so true. And I've seen like my friends go through similar things and I went through similar things in different areas of my life. I um, actually went to school. I I followed my high school sweetheart to college. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, I went six hours away to a school that was known for engineering for education. (laughs) Like I solely followed him. Wow. At that point in my life, I was 18 and, you know, I had this life where we're going to get married and we are going to be together forever. We're going to have 2.5 kids and a golden doodle and life's going to be perfect. And he, that, that like, um, a relationship turned bad pretty quickly. And as I was in college, he became abusive, both physically and mentally. And it actually ended up with him getting arrested and me having to leave the state. Like it got really bad. And it's crazy that it got that bad because I couldn't let go. It wasn't him. He was not that great. Like, let me put, he was not like, this is the all-star, this is real MVP. What I had problems breaking up with was the idea of the life I pictured with him. Like I could let go of him. Like I could have put any guy in that spot to be Mm -hmm. honest, but it was, the idea that we were going to live this perfect life together that I had been cultivating since I was, since we started dating when I was like 17 ish, like we started dating like right when I turned 17 and we broke up when I was 20. So for three years, I was just manifesting this life. And I'm like, 
I, I cried so much when we broke up and I remember being like, he wasn't even that great. Like he wasn't <laughs> that special, but it was the life that I pictured with him mm-hmm. that was so hard to give up. Yeah. And it's crazy how life works out because thank God I was able to break that tie and break that relationship because the life that I have now is so much better than what I ever dreamed. And if people can let go of that and know, like, I know it's so scary in the moment and I know you manifested and, and put so much energy into this relationship or whatever it is into your degree, but like following your heart and knowing that life isn't perfect and it's going to ebb and flow, like take that chance, take a leap and, you know, come out on the other side. Because now I look at my life and I'm like, oh, thank God, everything happens for a reason. You know, I love that. And I think you and I are always talk about like the power of expectations. And when we have a certain expectation, there is that layer of mourning or almost that layer of disappointment if things, well, a huge layer of disappointment if things don't go as planned. And especially when it comes to something that's so, that you build up to hold so much power, you know, as opposed to, I had an expectation I was going to pick up, I don't know, goldfish at the grocery store and it's not there, like, it's okay. (laughs) Um, But when it's something that has so much more worth in your life, like your relationship or your job or something that can feel a lot, have a lot more like energy behind it, it makes such a difference. Yeah. I think that's all so powerful in so many ways. And I love Ariel, what you said about like really kind of needing to cut all ties and like allow yourself to like grieve that life for a second. And then, so once you did that, once you cut the ties, once you maybe like had a point of grieving for that life, what was like your first step into finding something new, especially because so much of your focus was around your body? Was there a lot of fear of like what you were going to look like after stopping competing? And how did you, how did you make the first move to kind of move forward? Yeah, that was hard. And it was a long journey. And it's so I just made this decision at the end of 2017. We're in 2020. And I would say just as of, I don't know, maybe the end of 2019, I started feeling like I'm I'm okay, for lack of better words. And it's hard because it did take like almost two years for me to be okay with the way my body looks and for me to be okay with food and, and all of the things that came with competing. And it's, it's scary when you think like, Oh my goodness. Like I know, like initially someone would have told me it's going to take two years to heal, uh, to heal your body physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's very intimidating. But like, when you look at the long game of your life and the whole term of your life, like what's two years for your whole life. And I think giving myself grace and patience and time and that was super important. I, the biggest thing that honestly kept me driving forward and stopped me from turning around and going back to competing was my desire to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And that just was continually like, you know, everyone can talk about like having your why, like that was my why to not giving up. And I tried different, like some working with different coaches and different programs and different people. I was like, okay, maybe this can help me heal my relationship. Maybe this can make me find balance in my life. And every single phone call, they're like, why do you want to sign up? Because I want to be a mom because I want to be a mom. And that just like kept, that just kept me going and kept me moving forward. And, and cause I don't think if I would have had something as deep as that, I, I would, I would have gone back. I would have gone back to competing cause it's scary and it's vulnerable and mm-hmm. you are gaining weight and your body is changing and you feel uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you're going through these phases and you don't feel validated and you feel like your worth doesn't matter as much. And what are you going to do now? And so in conjunction with that, I really tried to remind myself, like, what were things that I was into before I started competing? Mm-hmm. Like, 
what mm-hmm. did I do before? What are some other interests? They're like, oh, I kind of like like arts and crafts. Maybe I'll like do like a scrapbook. Maybe I poured myself into my job a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I do enjoy being a teacher and that was a great time. So because of my effort in work that um, really showed and I was able to spend a whole summer like traveling to different conferences and giving different presentations. And so that was an amazing experience. My husband and I took vacations finally. Like I was like, remember I said we wanted to take vacations? And so we traveled and we went on like four different vacations and we went ziplining and parasailing and hiking and we just did life together. And I really started investing in my spiritual health and we started going to church and I needed something to lean on. I needed an anchor. I needed to know that there was a reason to why I, everything happened the way that it did. And I needed some faith. Uh, I think belief is the strongest motivator we can all have. And if you believe in something, doesn't matter what it is. Like if you true down in your core, believe something, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. At least to you, it will. And so I had to believe and I had to have faith that I was going to have a kid no matter how long it took. Um, we, were, we went to fertility treatment through this time, and I was at the fertility clinic for almost this whole like three-year duration, and I went through cycles of IUIs and IVF, which is just a lot of injections and hormones and appointments and blood draws, and honestly, I think going through infertility was harder than competing, mm-hmm. because at least with competing, there was a level of control that I had, and I knew that if I ate this, I would look like this, and I knew if I worked out, I would do that. But with infertility, you never know what's going to happen despite the dosage of hormone you take or anything. And so it was really important for me to find some sort of faith, spiritual connection that I could lean on and be like, okay, I know this one failed. I know this one failed, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because at the end of it, we ended up having seven failed IUIs, a miscarriage, and a failed IVF cycle. I just had to believe that it was still like it was going to happen. It was going to happen. And it did. And it, it did. So yay. Yeah. yeah. I think you're you're so right in the power of belief. And I remember even with you when you first got pregnant now, you're like, I'm I'm scared to believe. I want to believe, but I don't want to be disappointed. And mm-hmm. um I just think what you said has so much worth, especially with having like that inner why and that inner purpose, that the deeper that it is, the more attached you are to it and the more you want to believe. And you touched on how powerful our beliefs are, and that goes with the ones that lead us in the right direction and with ones that lead us in the wrong direction. I know I was in a retreat the other night and I know that the course that we were both part of really does train you to rewrite your beliefs, to identify what they are and to rewrite them in a way that's beneficial to you and most powerful to you. Because I think we go throughout our lives so often, so passively and just like unaware. And when we actually start to identify it and and start to ask ourselves, well, who do I actually want to be? Where do I actually want to do? What do I want to have? What does that person act like? And not just living passively, maybe to please other people or for what we think we should should be, but more so to actually align with who we want to be. Yeah. That's so good. And it is, it's, it just comes down to that. And then making conscious daily decisions to live that out. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That's so powerful. Cause I, we do sometimes, so we're, we're so passive with like the one thing that is like most important our lives. It's, it's crazy how little sometimes we think about we think about the rules that we've wrote for ourselves, who knows when and how we follow them. And those rules might not be serving us or benefiting us, but we, it's hard to take the time to want to rewrite those rules. 
Definitely. Because sometimes it can be challenging and sometimes it can even be painful. But even like seeing like through your story, Ariel, like how taking that time to maybe go through the hard stuff really brings you to the, the life that you were meant to have. Yeah. And I think that happens with so like so many of us. And it the hardest thing is rewriting that that belief in your story in, mm-hmm. in so many, like whether it was the breakup in college or it was the fact that I could have a baby or rewriting the narrative that I was more than my body. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a deep why. It takes true belief and resilience and the combination of all of them to be able to get to a place where like, yeah, I've made it. I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we hear that you're very into Enneagrams. So what is that for anyone that doesn't know? And what's your number? And how do you feel like you embody those qualities? Yeah, speaking of identity. <laughs> Enneagrams are so fun. Like, I love it. It's just, a, it's a personality test kind of at its core, mm-hmm. uh, which I like, love personality tests. But the reason I like Enneagram so much, and I feel like so many people are like, I've taken personality tests before, but none describe me like the Enneagram does, like nail on the head. And I've had so many people say that to me, and I feel the same way. And I think it's because the unique thing about an Enneagram is it doesn't just look at like, your behaviors. Like, mm-hmm. for example, like, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Well, I don't know. In some situations, I'm an introvert, some I'm an extrovert. Are you someone who's like a little bit more judgmental or, you know, whatever the different things are? Do you have a tendency to please others? The thing about the Enneagram is it looks at your core motivation and your mm-hmm. core fear, like your core desire and your core fear. Mm-hmm. And if you can identify someone's core desire and core fear, you can then understand why they do everything they do and what their behaviors and actions are going to be because that's ultimately what motivates us to do everything. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm a three, um, which is the achiever. We're threes too. (laughs) Yes. A room full of threes podcasting (laughs) on a Sunday morning. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's achiever and I absolutely love it. Um, and I think I, I definitely think I embody a lot of qualities. I think it describes me really well. And when I'm looking at that and I, you know, read or learn about the Enneagram, it's like your core fear. Your core fear is not making it. It's not being admired. It's not being desired. It's, and that definitely describes me. And if you can understand that a person's fear is to not have value, to not be successful, to not have worth and, and those things, you can understand why they're going to make the decisions they're going to make. You can kind of explain their tendencies and their behaviors. And the same with my desire, you know, just counter to that, the desire is to be admired, to accomplish things, you know, threes are very determined, hardworking. And so you can see like, I think it's cool to, to learn more about yourself and learn more about others around you. I think that's one of the most beneficial things I've gotten as that Enneagram is Yes, self-awareness and learning about myself, but also learning about others around me. Because with communication and with connecting with other people, if you can understand Mm -hmm. why they're doing the things that they're doing, or for a second, look through the lens that they see life, you can then communicate with them better and build a better relationship in that. And so it's helped me so much. Like I've made friends take it, coworkers take it, my husband has taken it, marriage classes based on the Enneagram. And there's just so much because I think if we can learn ourselves and why we're doing the things that we do as well as others, like that just elevates you to a whole new level of being a human. Absolutely. Totally. And I, like we're, me and Red are nodding our heads so much because we're both threes and we're like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. 
So it's just so funny, like how it manifests differently for like obviously different people, but that core thing that drives you is like so, so visceral. Yeah. And that's why I think it like so many people are drawn to it and they feel it. It's because like, I've heard, I heard one of these like Enneagram people talking about it and he's like, you know, we can all be different shades. So we're all threes and, but we're all different shades of three. Like, and the way that we live that out looks a little different. It doesn't not make you a three, but like what keeps us connected and what grounds us is that like motivation, that fear and that core. And yeah, it's okay. Cause I feel like then when you take other personality tests, you're like, oh, well, this is me sometimes. I don't really know. Like kind of, but Mm -hmm. it just hits on a deep level. I love that. And so you are a three, Ariel. You are an achiever. And yeah. obviously you're so disciplined, like through the whole bodybuilding, through going through infertility. It seems like you really are really good at believing in something and holding yourself accountable and working towards a goal. How did you, how did you, I know that that is obviously part of your core personality, but how did you build this discipline with yourself? Yeah, I think, like you said, it's, it's part of, my, it's part of my, part of that is my desire to achieve. Right. Like whenever I do something, I, I want to do it and I want to do it well. I think it's been strengthened throughout experiences that I've had in my life. So like even back, I can remember like being in high school, like I wanted to be the captain of mm-hmm. a soccer team. And like in wanting to be the captain, I just desired that achievement so much. And I knew that it would take hard work, right? Like I had to show my peers who were going to vote me in that I was going to show up. And then when I was in a sorority, like I wanted to be on eboard, and that took, you know, a bit of work to do that kind of thing. And the same with competing. And I think through each experience, I learned that when I put my best foot forward and when I worked on it and when I was disciplined in this, I was able to achieve it. And how have I gotten everything in my life? No, but for the majority of things, as long as I worked hard towards it, yes, I was able to graduate college. I got my master's. I competed. I got this coaching position. I became captain of the team. I eventually got pregnant. It's how bad do you want that desire to achieve? How bad do you want what it is? And are you willing to put the work in? And do you believe, I think I've always too believed that I was going to get it. I -hmm. I believe that I'm going to get it. Something else that really has helped me is my, like I said, my parents had me when they were really young. My mom was still in high school and she had to give up a lot to have me at such a young age. And one thing she really always instilled in me is she never wanted me to regret anything. She wanted me to live my life. She wanted me to take advantage of opportunities and things because she also had very little growing up. And she was like, I just want you to never look back and wonder or wish if something was different. And I think with that combined with my desire to achieve has allowed me to accomplish these things because I'm someone who always myself and I encourage others like jump, Mm -hmm. do it take the chance. I never want to live life and wonder like, what if, like, what if, like, to me, that's like one of my biggest fears is regretting something Yeah, is regretting not taking the chance on something. Like even when I go back to the fact that I went away to school six hours away, I remember sitting on my bed and I was like, there's a college that's only two hours away and they're known for education. And I want to be a teacher and I have friends that are going there Mm. or I could go to the school that's six hours away. And Mm -hmm. I was talking to my mom and she just looked at me and she said, I'm not going to make this decision for you. She was like, you have to listen to your heart and know that she goes, she goes, I don't want to live with your regret. She Mm. said, I don't want you to regret anything. Do whatever you feel like you need to do and I'll support you. And I thought about my life after I graduate and I was like, the last thing I want to do is be like, I wonder if I would have went to school with him, what my life would be like. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I would have 
you know, would we have made it work? Would we be living together now? Would this have happened? And I just, I wasn't willing to take that chance. I wasn't willing to do that. And so I jumped in. It's like, what's, what's the worst that could happen? I don't know. He's like abusive and we break up and he's a horrible person. Yeah. Well, guess what? It happened and I'm still mm. loving. Yeah. Like most yeah. things we can live through and we can make it through. And Absolutely. so I think whenever people are thinking about like, oh, I want to achieve something. I want to do something. I need to have discipline to do it. What is it that you want to do? Are you willing to take the chance and step out? And how bad do you want it? Know and believe that this is yours. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, I was at one point almost 200 pounds. And, you know, I've always struggled with weight. Who would have thought I actually could step on stage in a bikini that was way too small to be in public? (laughs) And like, and stand in front of a judge and win first place. And when I did my first show, I actually didn't place at all. But I believed and I told myself, I was like, I will win first place one day. It took three years, but I won first place. I told myself I was going to be pregnant and I wanted to be, and I believed it. It took three years, but here we are. And Mm -hmm. I think that if people can instill that belief, take chances on themselves, like the, it's going to come, it's going to come because you, because when you believe something so deeply and you want it so badly, you don't have another option. Yeah. You don't have an option to like stay Mm -hmm. in bed and not like move your body. You don't have an option to skip out on this business meeting. You don't, you don't have an option because you told yourself you were going to do it. Yeah. That's Definitely. so powerful. And something that I've really learned through Ariel is we're very similar again, different shades of three, but, but very similar. And I've also been in places where I'm like, okay, so these are the steps that you need to take in order to be on eboard, to be president of your sorority. These are the steps you need to take in order to make an impact on this group, whatever. But I think there's a different layer of discipline that you need, or at least a different lens you need to look through when it comes to discipline for yourself. Um, because nobody, maybe people receive your energy differently, but nobody really knows whether you're, which daily rituals you're incorporating into your life. Like that's something that's just between you and yourself. Maybe unless you're publicizing it on social media or something of the sort, but Ariel really has always impressed me with the daily routines that she incorporates and with her level of discipline with that. Um, so would you mind sharing with us what those are? Any, any rituals that you incorporate into your day? Yeah. And, um, with that being said, I think it's, it's just so important to respect yourself enough and to show up for yourself. And maybe this is definitely, though I would say like my experience bodybuilding as a whole, isn't something I think that many people should get into. I do think that it showed me the power of detail, Mm -hmm. that everything counts, that you can't short yourself. Um, I think, cause when I look back on it too, when I look at things now, I just like look at it and I, everything matters. Like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. And there's a level of that where it can't be obsession. You can't, you can't be rooted in fear. You can't be rooted in fear. Cause if you're rooted in fear, it's going to be an obsession. It's going to be unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But do you respect yourself enough to care about the way you do one thing is the way you do everything and be disciplined in that. And I think it's really important to just care about yourself enough to show up and to make those decisions. And uh, with that said, yeah, I definitely have habits and things that I've instilled. Like, for example, my morning routine, I, for example, this call, like I knew what time it was. I got up and I worked out before we met. Like, because I know that that's like the best version of myself, right? So I set my alarm. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. I, I move my body every day. Like I don't do like an intense crazy workout, but I do move my body every day. And that's important to me. And that's just, a non-negotiable of me being my best self. And so I move my body and 
I walk. I mean, obviously now in this time, a lot of us are doing home workouts. So that's what I'm doing at this time. I spend some time connecting to my spiritual health. Um, I just do that through the devotional now. And that's super important for me to connect to that in the morning. And I think we're all different and it's important to, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace and experiment. Like I used to try meditating in the morning and that like just straight put me back to sleep. (laughs) And I used to try doing other things at times in the day, but for me, waking up, moving my body first thing, spending some time in my spiritual health is super important. I do little things every day. I always make sure the dishes are done before I go to bed at night. I make my bed every morning. And it sounds so petty. It's uh, because you're like, make. I remember being like, I'm, I'm gonna sleep in my bed tonight. No one's coming over. No one's gonna see it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's those small disciplines mm-hmm. that help you cultivate it in every area of your life. Does it matter if my bed is made? No, not really. No one's gonna see it. <laughs> Only me and my husband. I'm <laughs> gonna mess it up every night, anyways. It's just like ten minutes that you know we all feel like we don't have. But that small act of making my bed in the morning is mm-hmm. just me showing up for myself, respecting not only myself, but the environment in which I live in and saying, I'm saying that I do what I say I'm going to do. And I said, I was going to make the bed. And mm-hmm. so I make the bed. I read this book and I think that the title of it might be making the bed. It's um, by someone who was uh, a Navy SEAL, a Navy SEAL. So, you know, like talk about discipline. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think of this. Yeah, it's it's like make your bed every day, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it is something like written, that. Yeah, and it's a, it's written by a Navy SEAL, and he's I mean, talk about discipline, and mm-hmm. I just like started incorporating those little things, and that's another thing too, just like with habits and stuff too. Like the people that I listen to, the books I invest in, the person I want to be, I know I want to be disciplined, and I know I want to show up, so I continually pour that into me. Mm-hmm. So I just you know I have that awareness, and I'm doing it, but yeah, I make the bed. I make sure the dishes are done. I move my body. I read. And then there's things that like, I try and listen to like podcasts or other like audio books, which I do most days, but I wouldn't say it's like, it's so habitual. Like I couldn't live my life a day without it kind of thing. I, this is, this was the hardest thing. As soon as a load of laundry comes out of the dryer, I put it away like that because it was like crippled. like I hate putting mm-hmm. laundry away mm-hmm. so I just told myself one day and it's like about <laughs> building one habit at a time right I wasn't like okay starting today I'm gonna make do the dishes every day put my laundry away you right. know walk work out every morning. <laughs> yeah so it's kind of been like slow and it's just like looking at the areas of my life like I just keep taking areas of my life I'm like okay well I know it always stresses me out when I come home and there's a pile of clothes on my bed that's not put away and it gets wrinkled and like is this clean is it dirty I know what's going on I need to fix this. So deciding, okay, how am I going to set this up? The second it comes out of the dryer, I put it away. So guess what? It doesn't come out of the dryer until I'm willing to put it away. But that also means my husband can't do his laundry. We can't continue if something happens. So I have to like a lot of time, I'm going to put my laundry away and I'm, you know, just like making it and then enough times it does become a habit. So now at the point where it's like, I wouldn't even think about taking my clothes out and putting it on the bed. Mm -hmm. Like I'd take it out and put it away. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, I mean, we say it all the time, like how empowering it is to make promises to yourself and then keep them. And, and I love that you said it, like you don't have to do it all in one day. You start mm-hmm. with one and build up. And 
I mean, I do the same thing too with my bed and it's funny. It's like such a little thing, but I know that when I make my bed, I have a better day because I've already set out my day knowing that like I keep my promises to myself and it like builds confidence. And I know on the days if like I slack that day and I don't make my bed, it affects the whole rest of my day. And it's not about the bed. It's about the promise that I made to myself. Yeah. And it's just like that whole, and this is definitely more of a three thing in general, but just like having, feeling productive, yeah. having that checklist yeah. item. Like feeling good. I think we all like, I think threes is kind of heightened, but I think with all of us, like you want to feel accomplished. You want to feel success. You want to feel productive. Mm -hmm. And it's such, it's just like, one thing with dis with being disciplined and, and getting all of these wins as a whole and habit with habits, you have to give yourself wins. You yeah. have to build some mo mo momentum and some motivation. Like, and you, that comes from winning. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking something, you can give yourself a win every morning for like two minutes, two yep. minutes. And you get to start your day with a win, little effort by making the bed win. That's a day. I mean, cause when you think about it, you start your day. Okay. Like how many, how many little wins can I give myself before I even step out of the door? Yeah. And that really helps us set the whole tone for your day too. Absolutely. Ariel, you've been so incredible. You have given us so many amazing things to think about, but we'd want to ask you just two questions before we let you go. Um, now that you're 30, if you could give your 20s year old self one piece of advice, what would you, what would you say to yourself? Uh, I, oh my goodness, your 20s are crazy. Like what even <laughs> happens? Like, I, I think I'm like, I'm like 20s. I'm like, okay, 21. I was in college at the bar. I'm like, okay, no, but 29. There's so much that happens. Right. Honestly, I think my biggest teacher in my 20s was my experiences that I went through and the people that were by my side. Mm -hmm. And so I think anything to be said about your 20s is like, take a chance, do the thing and learn from it. Mm -hmm. It could end up miserable. It could totally not work or it could be some something that forever changes your life start the podcast right do the business take the course go back to school change your career get married follow the boyfriend don't follow him you know what I mean like <laughs> every experience you're gonna learn something and you're gonna grow from that and I think that's how you get to the other side like that's how when I turn 30 I'm like wow look at what I've learned look at what I've been through none of that would have happened if I would have lived in a state of fear and not taken the chance like you know, had I not followed my boyfriend or not ever competed or not gone through fertility treatment because I was scared and held back. Like every experience is going to be a teacher. And so I would say to anyone who is in their twenties, like do the damn thing and mm -hmm. just get back up when you fall. Cause inevitably you will. And look around at the people around you at each season and know that they're there for a reason and a purpose. Cause I've learned so much from my friends, younger, older, but that I've just been there and experienced it with me because I don't think there's any, because I can't think of any one like thing or resource because there's so much change that happens in your twenties. You know, I went from like, it's like you go from like this little baby in college has really not that many responsibilities and mm -hmm. like to like, you know, you get a lot of people get married or they get a house and they start families and their careers. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with your twenties and your achievement status. And like, you feel like you've got to keep going and uh, there's just so much, but in every single step, just learn as much as you can. Yeah. And is there any brief advice you would give to some, like a specific resource that you can give to someone that that's looking to build better habits or discipline? Um, so resources for habits. Um, I love atomic habits. That's such a good book, such a good read. I think in the book, James clear just gives such like tangible, 
tactical ways to build in habits. I would say to start small, like to stack your habits. I would say to meet yourself where you're at with all of your things. And I think accountability is huge. Like I think resource wise, that book is amazing. And I think if you can have accountability and give yourself wins, like meeting yourself where you're at and give yourself wins, it's like, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. You have someone that you're accountable to. You have a thing you're accountable to. We all love that. Like, you know, whether it's like you get a dry erase board and you like do an X on it, you download an app. There's so many habit apps. If you go to the app store and you type in habits, like anyone put a, put a penny in a jar, you know, like show yourself somehow. So show yourself the wins, have some accountability, get connected in the community and then read atomic habits. And I think those are really good starting points. Awesome. Love that. And our last question is where can people find you? Anything that you want to plug? Um, well, I'm a pretty simple girl these days, but <laughs> I do have an Instagram and it's just Mrs. D Amper. And I am posting all things baby right now as that's the season yeah. of my life I'm in. But yeah, I would love to connect with anyone and anything. Um, I think like, you know, you said there's so much power and vulnerability and connection and I love when women reach out, whether it's like, I'm a competitor and I want to stop competing or I'm dealing with body image issues or I'm dealing with infertility and all of the different things. Like, I just love connecting with other people, other women, and it's just such a beautiful component of life. Awesome. Ariel, thank you so, so much. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us and sharing your stories. Uh, I'm, I'm positive that your words are going to be really impactful on a lot of people. So thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you girls for having me. I had so much fun. Absolutely. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Friday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.